up, nerds? This is In My Expert Opinion, a podcast about the nonfiction side of speculative fiction. Your hosts are Dr. Marcus Cole. I get paid to do science. Sarah Ward. I'm a scientist in progress. And me, Abby Cole. I'm not a scientist at all. Join us as we geek out about the made-up stuff we love and the real stuff that shaped it. Today we're going to talk about Battlestar Galactica, the history of artificial intelligence, and the parallels between AI and real humans. It's gonna get heavy. That sounds like very on brand (laughs) if it's about like human versus AI or Cylon. Yeah. Yeah, one of the key concepts is sort of the nature of what is a person and can robots be people or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they pretty firmly come down on the side of yes. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, pretty much, especially with like later Cylon reveals, which Mm -hmm. get increasingly like, because it starts off with like sleeper agents, right? Like, oh my God, they're actually just a robot in disguise and they didn't even know it kind of thing or they did know it. But by the end of it, you start having these Cylon reveals that are like, this is just like functionally a person and they have been like a human this entire time. Right. And they're like no different at all after they change. You know what I mean? Like yeah. some of the reveals, it's like, oh, now they start displaying like more inhuman qualities. And some of them, it's like, mm-hmm. this is literally the exact same person and nothing has changed about them. Yeah. It's like really funny because like, I know like the common like passing if like AI can be human is like based on if it passes the Turing test. Don't get like, ahead of me. I'm not, I'm not going to get ahead. But there are the concepts of these like tests. Yeah. It's like, like if you feel like it's human, that's like a, a data point for like, well, that's a... Like, it's basically a binary test. That's a one. And I was like, this, I couldn't tell if this was a human or not. Yeah. Especially in TV shows, like, we're getting to the point where it's like, we're almost conditioning ourselves to be, like, ready to, like, interrogate if something is or isn't human. Yeah, and yeah. I've discovered that I'm actually maybe not a human because I've failed so many Kafka tests. <laughs> like, all the time I failed this test, so maybe I'm actually a Cylon. It's true. Sarah's really bad at Kafka tests. Maybe I'm actually a Cylon and I don't know it. <laughs> Sarah, are you not able to see the crosswalk? Every time it's like, pick all the buses. I'm like, um. I have trouble with buses because uh-huh. I think that they think some things are buses that I don't think are buses. Why? It's like a train or something? Motor bus. And so then uh. when there's a school bus, I'm like, is that a motor bus? I don't know. If it's that's got a, a motor. motor this is what I'm thinking. Anyway, I might be anyway. silent, is what I'm saying. I guess we'll find out maybe one day. Yeah. A lot of what I'm going to be drawing from here is from a Harvard like special edition conference thing Mm -hmm. um, that was from 2017. I couldn't find a lot of research since then that I could make sense of. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know exactly um, what advances have been made in the past, whatever, five years or so. To be fair, I will say in 2020, that research probably came to a fucking total stop if my research is any kind of indication of what was going on in (laughs) academic world. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know what's surprising I feel like AI might have ticked up in that oh, time period. that's fair. Because it's a lot like, I mean, basically it's like Facebook, Google, and like some other companies like in like uh, Asia that basically mine user like internet data to yeah. u- make AI. And like we were on the computer way more. So it's like, oh, there's yeah. way more data to kind of piece through to develop these robust yeah. algorithms. <laughs> Yeah. So who knows? We'll, we'll see who what knows? happens in five we'll years. If <laughs> uh, so, if if anybody finds anything interesting that I've missed since then, feel free to email. 
in my expert opinion at gmail.com. All right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, in the interest of the sort of Battlestar Galactica motto, all of this has happened before and all of this has happened again. I'm interested in talking about what all of has happened before on our planet, which mm-hmm. is the history of AI. That's my cool, cool connection to Battlestar Galactica. Okay. Here. Um, This is one of the articles, primarily from one of the articles from that Harvard conference that I referenced. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's called The History of AI by Rockwell Anyoha. So uh, thanks to Anyoha for for this work here. Shout out. Shout out. So we're starting around 1950 with, as Marcus uh, alluded to, Alan Turing. In 1950, he published Computing Machinery and Intelligence. Uh, which was a paper that discussed how to build intelligent machines and test their intelligence, which is now called the Turing test, although at the time he called it the imitation game. That's mm-hmm. fair that he wouldn't name it after himself immediately. Yeah, I'm glad he Yeah, because he's not a dickbag. Yeah. And also the imitation game sounds like a really cool name. Right? Yeah, I like that a lot. I feel like they'd be better if you'd kept it like that. Like, I, I want to yeah. be able to, like, go on a computer and just, like, test out some AIs, just play the imitation game. I have I have a brief digression about things that would have been better with Alan Turing uh, oh, around yeah. later on. But, <laughs> yeah. So, do you, are you guys familiar with the premise of the Turing test? Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me, because it's what is what is your understanding? Oh, so my uh, my interpretation is that in the Turing test, you have basically three actors. You have a computer who is basically answering questions, a human that is answering questions, and then like another human that is presenting the questions to the computer or robot and the human. And that mm-hmm. that questioner basically gets does this over several like series. And basically, if the questioner cannot. You can't tell uh, the guess difference. Is cr- yeah, it's like it's fifty percent or less. If he gets fifty percent or less correct, that means there's no like statistically relevant difference between the human and the robot AI. By correct, you mean correctly guessing which one's the computer? Yeah, or like which yes. one is human, which one is computer? Yeah. I guess it's just cor- yeah. answer correctly. But if it's less than fifty percent, then there's no like bias to be like, oh, I can definitely tell. Yeah, the correct answer is not on the end of the human or the robot answering; it's on the end of the other human that can determine. Yeah. So this is a key facet of it that I think is sometimes misconstrued, which is why I wanted to get uh, specific about it, because it is about not is the computer doing things right, but rather is it mimicking how a human would do something? So like if you ask it to add two enormous numbers, obviously if the computer returns the answer immediately, it's like, well, that's not a person. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Interestingly enough, in 1950, uh, Isaac Asimov also published iRobot. These are sort of concurrent events. Oh, wow. That's interesting. iRobot is a series of short stories about exploring the nature of the relationship between humans and uh, robots and morality and personhood and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Isn't the Asimov's like iRobot thing having to do with like the rules like cannot harm people or some shit like that? Yeah, that's one of them. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Cool. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, when Turing introduced this idea, it was sort of uh, not really viable at the time because computers were enormously expensive to build and house. Mm -hmm. And additionally, at this point, they couldn't store commands. They could only execute them. Mm -hmm. Sure. At this point, uh, computers weren't really able to sort of get into what Turing was getting at. And it sort of still needed a proof of concept before it could be sort of taken seriously. And research institutions would go to the trouble of trying to study this stuff, try to make it happen. Five years later, this is after Turing's death, Alan Newell, Cliff Shaw, Herbert Simon developed the Logic Theorist program to mimic problem-solving skills of people, and they presented this in 1956 at the Dartmouth Summer Research Project on Artificial Intelligence. 
this was hosted by John McCarthy and Marvin Minsky. And in 1956, McCarthy coined this term, artificial intelligence, and uh, he gets credit for it a lot. Despite the fact that Alan Turing, like, actually exactly. conceived the idea, just didn't give it the name. Exactly. This is this is the thing that uh, I wanted to bring up when I was doing research for this. I in a lot of places that I looked, it was like, ah, yes, 1956. That's when artificial intelligence was conceived of. It wasn't until I was like circling back through looking for other details on other things that I discovered that Alan Turing had come up with this sooner. This really upsets me, obviously, because, you know, his untimely death sort of took him out of, yeah, the scientific field and really... I don't know. And it sucks that he doesn't get credit. Well, especially about how he was devalued beforehand because of his sexuality and he was like chemically castrated. And yeah, so it's not shocking that, you know, a gay man is sort of shunted to the side here and not giving credit where credit is due. But here we are. Yeah. So, yes, in 1956, this conference, it was apparently kind of a flop in terms of actually making progress or like deciding on methods for research. Again, that's fair considering that they didn't like, have <laughs> computers really like to the yeah. extent needed for this kind of discussion. Right. It's so abstract. Theater of the mind. It's like, imagine computation. Right. Like, yeah. If we could do this with these like computers that we do have. Yeah, and but I mean, so that's the idea, right? Like everybody got excited about it. It was like, oh yes, what a cool idea! But they really didn't uh, make any particular progress at that point. They just sort of got jazzed about the idea of AI being achievable. In sort of the period between 1957 and 1974, computers started to be able to store more information and get cheaper and more accessible and stuff like that. So things start to take off a little bit at this point. Machine learning algorithms are better developed and put to better use. And this is also the time period when we get like early demonstrations of problem solving and interpreting spoken language. Interesting. These advances led to greater funding from the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. DARPA. Otherwise known as DARPA. Yeah. Oh, that's what <laughs> DARPA stands for. Yes. DARPA is shield for all Marvel fans out there. Oh, is it really? It, it, I mean, it, I mean <laughs> well, like basically, well, right? Yeah. And I'm, so I'm watching Agents of Shield right now and we're it's in the AI season, which is great. I've always wanted to work for DARPA because they were shield, but then I was like, I don't really want to wake, make weapons to hurt people. Yeah. So. Dude, that's the thing, right? Like there's so many not to diverge too much, but there are so many fields open to us as like polymer chemists, but I just like do not feel good about so many of them. Yeah. The ones that really get me that I'm like, this would be really interesting problems to solve, but I was like, this is bad for humanity, like low detection explosives. Yeah. Like when you're oh talking about the next generation of plastic <laughs> explosives or then yeah. like and then stealth tech. It's very interesting, yeah. but like, man, I do not want to be affiliated with it. I know, because yeah. I know this is not like gonna be like cool stuff that's in shield. It's like, oh, we're gonna make like an agent suit invisible. It's like, nope, you're gonna make a predator drone invisible so that it can blow up like buses in Yemen easier without getting caught. At this point, actually, the the sort of it's a little more innocuous than that stuff. But basically, during this oh, time yeah. period, primarily DARPA was interested in like funding the AI that could transcribe or translate spoken language, which is fairly, you know, yeah, benign. Useful. DARPA's not all bad. They were looking for this at the time. And in 1970, Minsky from that original conference mm-hmm. told Life magazine that in from three to eight years, we will have a machine with the general intelligence of an average human being. Uh, you know, in fact, there was a very long way to go with this. That was uh, not true. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. how many years? Three to eight. Wow. Three to eight from 1970. Good luck, man. A little bit off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a touch. I mean, the primary, yeah, <laughs> the primary issue is still like the lack of computational power. Um, mm-hmm. And people are just like, you know, started to get fed up with this and funding was dropping off. In 1978, which is at the end of that eight-year window, we get the original Battlestar Galactica. 
Oh. Hey. Yeah. That's what he was actually talking about, was just Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> exactly. He was like right on target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, He's like, like oh, we wait, did it. Are you asking me about my science or about the show that I'm probably going to be uh, supporting with a, as like a consultant? Because that's like, going to be right. out in Oh, you meant like a real thing? <laughs> no, I meant like the, the show. Uh, yeah. the fiction. My, my, like, my oh, bad. Uh, yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I found this one thing that was, I couldn't really verify it. I'm So it may be apocryphal, but I wanted to include it just because I thought it was fucking hilarious. Uh, this is a comment from Isaac Asimov about Battlestar Galactica. Um, yeah, theoretically l- true. L- I, again, I, could, I saw it in many places, but many of them were just like, you know, wikis from the Wayback Machine. So who the sure. fuck knows? <laughs> anyway, apparently he commented that, quote, Star Wars was fun and I enjoyed it, but Battlestar Galactica was Star Wars all over again and I couldn't enjoy it without amnesia. Wow. Yeah. Here's the thing is I actually can't comment on it because I have nothing to say about the original series except that they made better choices in the remake, at least in terms of casting decisions. Yeah. Um, sure. So maybe he was, you know, legit, but also... Fuck off, Isaac Asimov. Like, you're such a creep to women that I don't super care what you have to say about some shit, you know? It's funny because I feel like, if anything, it's more of a ripoff of his shit. That's weird that he was, like, defending Star Wars like that. Yeah. Well, I wonder if it's because, like, he didn't like how AI was maybe portrayed in Battle Scar Doctor. He's like, oh, no, this is going to, like, create, like, like it's fear-mongering from his perspective. And it's like, maybe this will, like, prevent DARPA from funding my next project. They're like, the general populace is going to be afraid of computers and then we'll have to like stop our research well isaac asimov wasn't really i don't think doing research at this point right oh mostly just writing books about it i think he was some kind of a fucking physicist or some shit but oh, okay yeah at this point i think he was mostly a writer maybe because of Battlestar galactica in the 1980s we get our resurgence of funding and like more expanding algorithms in the 1980s is when we start to see deep learning techniques, which is like computers being able to learn using experience. Mm-hmm. And also at this point, we start to see expert systems, which is computers mimicking the decisions of human experts. Putting everybody out of the job. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> also in the 1980s, the Japanese government invested about $400 million uh, from like between 1982 and 1990 to improving AI in their fifth generation computer project. Cool. Um, this sort of fell so- awesome. short of their hopes, but it kept enthusiasm alive at least. And in fact, you know, funding starts to drop off again. Basically, you see the cycle over and over. The funding starts to drop off and then everyone's like, oh, okay, we have a dip. And then everyone's like, actually, let's make AI. And those are bounces back, whatever. Sure. In 1997, Gary Kasparov, the chess grandmaster, was defeated by IBM's Deep Blue. I actually just read about this the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah. As a general recommendation, by the way, I feel that everyone should read about chess drama. Chess players are so fucking dramatic and they get so (laughs) tetchy over everything. There is a subreddit mm. called Hobby Drama that has a lot of different chess posts <laughs> that I find unbelievably fucking amusing to read. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Some of the posts discuss like this uh this concept of obviously AI and stuff like that and like computer learning because that's like a huge way people cheat in chess is mm. having sure. computer access so that they can see the next move. Oh my god. Damn. Also in the 90s, we get Kismet, which is a robot developed by Cynthia Breziel. Mm -hmm. This robot was able to recognize and also demonstrate human emotion, sort of facial features or facial expressions. Creepy. And then Uh, since the 90s, there's been a variety of things. We've got uh, in 2005, a Stanford vehicle drove autonomously for 131 miles across the desert. 
In 2011, IBM's Watson wins Jeopardy. Oh, uh, I think I remember exciting. that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was a big fucking deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 2011 is also when we get Siri. <laughs> oh. oh. Also kind of a big deal. In 2013, this is not an AI development. This is just for you, Sarah. We get the movie Her because um, Joaquin Phoenix gets to fall in love with Scar Joe. So this is I just wanted to this is for you just because I like to give you the opportunity to think about her whenever about just to sort of, yeah, just to keep you on your toes. My favorite uh, Asian actress, obviously. <laughs> she's still great. So, yeah, she's I'm awesome. definitely not a bitter about it. Anyway, as I've alluded to, uh, we get AI sort of as far as we can and then storage issues catch up and then we sort of progress further and then we sort of you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. AI is used for like fucking everything now. It's used for like tech, banking, marketing, entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's used for a bunch of stuff, but I want to mostly stick to stuff that's like AI trying to be like people. Yeah, I mean, if you're that's, talking that's about fair. Battlestar, it's really not that level of like right. advanced stuff. It's like, is this a person? Mm-hmm. Can she right. love? Like, do they like actually experience emotions like everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like all of like the AI development that you've been talking about, Abby, that's leading up to this moment is like necessary for even like achieving artificial like humanity yeah it has to be the most advanced right yeah it's like okay you have to be able to do like complex like math problems only so that we can tap into the concept of like love right exactly um so when we get into the philosophy of ai basically it sort of centers around the question of is artificial intelligence real intelligence i would say by the name yes (laughs) (laughs) that's what my vote is Sure. Well, you wouldn't be alone. Uh, there's sort of <laughs> there's a philosophy called the computational theory of mind, mm-hmm. um, which is that the mind itself is a computational system. So mm-hmm. people who believe this are computationalists, and basically they would agree, like this is basically what our brains are doing anyway. So our brains are computers. So computers are like brains. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's also some pushback against it, obviously, right? Like people pushing back against the computational theory of mind are like, what do you mean the brain is computing? Like, how is it computing? What's your definition of computing? That kind of thing. And like, how does that relate to physiology? And how does that relate to, you know, intentionality and that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the problem, right? Is that it's so easy to point to different parts of your brain and be like, look, that's a chemical reaction. This is a uh, electronic reaction. Like this is neural signaling. Right. But yeah. that doesn't quite get to the concept of like how you actually are processing, like the emotion mm-hmm. behind it. Like, yeah, I guess it has like biological markers, but. Yeah. But like the idea that like our brains have so many different kinds of feedback loops to even comp- like create our personas Mm -hmm. that if you really want to have like an artificial intelligence that is human it's probably not going to be a single system this is going to be many networks that do a bunch of different things simultaneously to give like a final output yeah sure so there are some philosophers uh, i'm quoting from the stanford encyclopedia stanford encyclopedia of philosophy here Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. some philosophers insist that computers no matter how sophisticated they become will at best mimic rather than replicate thought so A computer simulation of the weather does not really rain. A computer simulation of flight does not really fly. Even if a computing system could simulate mental activity, why suspect that it would constitute the genuine article? So basically here, philosophers are like, I mean, you can have a computer make it rain, but that's not rain. That's computer rain. It's like inherently a different thing. Hmm. Sure. This is, by the way, why the Turing test is important here to define it as like, 
not can a computer think, but sort of the indistinguishable rather, nature. Can yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. Can it be distinguished from? In 1980, we get uh, from UC Berkeley, Professor John Searle creates the Chinese room argument. Okay. What? Yeah. Seems kind of less field. Yeah. This is pushback against like the Turing idea that you could, or not just Turing, but like this is pushback against the idea that artificial intelligence could be the same as real intelligence. I'm kind of confused. This man doesn't seem like he's Chinese based on his name. So I'm a little confused about what's happening here. I think you'll find, as I describe his argument, that him not being Chinese is sort of foundational to the way he constructs the argument. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so here's how it goes. Imagine a native English speaker who knows no Chinese. Okay. Okay. Now, this person is locked in a room full of boxes of what he calls Chinese symbols, which are fucking words, but sure. Like, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So this this person locked in this room has got boxes of Chinese symbols. They've got a book of instructions for manipulating the symbols. So the symbols constitute the database and the book of instructions constitute the quote unquote program, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So you imagine that people outside the room send in other Chinese symbols, which unknown to the person in the room are questions in Chinese. So this is the input. And then you imagine that by following the instructions in the program, the man in the room is able to pass out Chinese symbols, which are correct answers to the questions, which is the output. The program enables the person, according to Searle, to pass the Turing test for under- for understanding Chinese, but he does not understand a word of Chinese. Um, this seems like this weird to me. I don't, I'm not quite grasping why he thinks this is like groundbreaking. Or legitimate. He says, well, yeah, he goes on to say that, quote, the point of the argument is this. If the man in the room does not understand Chinese on a basis of implementing the appropriate program for understanding Chinese, then neither does any other digital computer solely on that basis because no computer, qua computer, has anything the man does not have. So the objection here is like intentionality and lacking that intentionality, uh, understanding cannot exist. To me, this seems like an apples and oranges kind of thing. Yeah. I guess I'm just not quite grasping like... It, it, like, seems to be missing the aspect of learning. Yeah, but also even from, like, a computer science perspective, like, if you, like, want to, like, do something and drop a script and then you, like, your input's in Python, you're going to just get, like, uh, a null. Like, this can't compute because you're not speaking in a language that makes sense to the algorithm you're trying to Yeah, like, this is, I'm I'm confused (laughs) by how this, like, works. Maybe I'm just misunderstanding it, but, like, the guy doesn't understand Chinese, then he can't use the program. No, he's got... The program is the instruction manual, which is written in English. Oh, I thought that was also written in Chinese. Sorry. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. (laughs) The instruction manual is in English. But then that also misses the point that if you are immersed in something, you can learn it. Yeah. I mean, there have been a number of different ideas about how to push back against this. And basically, after this Chinese room argument... Everybody else stops talking about the Turing test and just starts talking about the Chinese room argument, which is... Oh, jeez. About this dumb guy's argument? Oh, my God. So pushback against this includes a number of things. We've got... Okay, so sure, maybe the man running the program doesn't understand Chinese, but that doesn't mean that understanding doesn't exist as sort of a larger thing, right? He's a function of it. That's what I'm saying is that, like, he he still has some learned aspect kind of thing. At some point, if you don't understand the characters, let's say you don't understand Mandarin... 
by doing it so many times, you simply start to kind of learn it. That's the whole point of immersion anyway when it comes to, like, language learning, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the connections will exist after a while. Well, that's the question of, like, how do you even know that the man in the room doesn't understand? But what I'm talking about here is also, like, in some ways, the man is just another part of the program. So that doesn't mean that, like, the program itself isn't producing understanding on a larger scale. It's just, like... Why are you centering the man as, like, the proof of understanding here? Yeah. I know why. It's because you're a fucking professor. <laughs> so bizarre. Segway. <laughs> <laughs> segway. This is my segway. Folks, we are, it's several days later because our it's a goddamn- full week later. Yeah. Is it a full uh, week? Yeah. Okay. Wow, shit. Here we are a full week later. And here's our abrupt segue into the last chunk of this episode here. The problem is- uh, that our upstairs neighbor was vacuuming for like four hours. <laughs> we couldn't finish recording. It could have been four days. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> yeah, but but from what I remember, we were talking about AI. <laughs> yeah, we, we were very much talking about AI. Anyway, so what the last part of what I wanted to talk about uh, is sort of related to the idea of what makes AI human or not, since that's sort of one of the core principles of Battlestar Galactica, right? Mm-hmm. And they obviously firmly come down to the side of they're never human, and it's a complete waste of a question, obviously. Wow. No, that's... Marcus, she's lying. Okay. <laughs> the end of the show is them saying, actually, it was all a fucking prank. Whatever. They, None of Well, this actually, matters. the end of the show honestly is a little bit like them saying this is actually <laughs> all a fucking prank. I did feel like I was prank. getting punked a little bit while watching it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, one of the things that I came up with is like a compelling overlap between humans and computers, mm-hmm. or humans and AI, rather, was uh, with respect to dreaming. Do AIs dream? They can. What? Okay, I don't actually know anything about AI. You guys are really educating me here. <laughs> That's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. No, br- bring drop the knowledge on us, Abby. What what's an AI dream? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best here. So this is uh, another article from that uh, Harvard like special conference thing. This one's by Henry Wilkin, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and. Basically, what Henry Wilkins suggests is that there are essentially three ways in which computers dream. The first one is like a computer, quote unquote, dreaming by accident, which is also referred to as like a computer hallucination. Whoa, that sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah. So what this like dreaming type of thing is basically is because of this. So the way that computers learn is like by trying out behaviors and picking out what works best, Mm -hmm. right? But AI can't always tell what is quote unquote best or even if like uh, the answers that they're getting to questions are sensible. Like they don't always know for sure what's right. Mm -hmm. Like as long as it's an answer within the set of parameters, it's acceptable, right? Right, exactly. So in learning, they like go through all these acceptable answers and figure out what's the best one, but they don't always get it right. So what ends up happening is that they have these like computer hallucinations, which are basically when an AI gives a nonsensical answer to like a reasonable question or vice versa so it just like comes up with some output that's like not real i guess it's like, like, so like two plus two equals apple like what what how did you get there hmm. right something okay. like that yeah and this also this kind of dreaming quote unquote dreaming also includes like interpreting speech incorrectly like they might hear some gibberish like simlish or something and think it has meaning or like Try to cons- in, in, if an AI is trying to construct language, it might put together gibberish and think that it has meaning, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is like when the AI's artificial neural network gets things all whacked up, and it's called computer hallucinations. Weird. Hmm. Yes. The second type of dreaming is uh, through a program, like an actual dreaming program, mm-hmm. such as Google's Deep Dream. Okay. So okay. 
basically Google developed dream software for AI yep. so that the computers could dream. Is it a bunch of electric sheep? Huh. <laughs> it is. It's only electric sheep. Yeah. Excellent. I was hoping someone would get there. I tried to work it into my notes, but couldn't. So mm-hmm. thank you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so basically Google was like, okay, we have these artificial neural networks, mm-hmm. but we don't really actually understand what's going on with them. So Google developed Deep Dream to like sort of let computers dream. Let me explain how this works. Please I'm do. sorry, but like my technical knowledge here is a little iffy. So basically, Deep Dream works best for AI that recognize images using like a deep convolutional neural network, whatever that means. Okay. And basically the idea mm-hmm. here is that this software should make it easier for AI to interpret images by distorting the image to make it closer to what the AI might quote-unquote want to interpret. But because images always quote-unquote look weird to an AI, right? They're like not familiar things. When we try to modify an image to match what the AI wants to see, then it looks weird to us. Let's say there's an AI that's only seen like pictures of like buildings and trees and you want to show it a picture of the sky. Deep Dream is going to try to modify it to look more like what the ai is used to so that when it sees the sky it's easier for it to make sense of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is basically how i understand it but then the dreaming part comes in was when the ai like fucks up and misunderstands what something is the the example from this article that wilkin gives is that if the ai thinks that a cat's ear is a butterfly wing then deep dream like makes an image that has like a butterfly wing where the cat's ear should be oh the ai is like looks at this cat's ear is like, oh, that's a butterfly. Then the output that Deep Dream does gives an image of like <laughs> a cat with a butterfly ear. Weird. Hmm. Does that make sense? It kind of makes sense to me. I don't know if it makes any sense to you. Yeah, because it I mean like because we're thinking about this from like a human perspective, but from like if you just want to look at like ones and zeros like a computer, it's like, oh, I can only create so many if then statements that would allow for both a cat's ear and a butterfly wing. So I'm just going to assume this mm-hmm. one is the butterfly wing yeah. in this particular if then type scenario. Yeah. There's also like a way to like kind of address this, I guess, like like we're not AI people, but like like I do a lot of like research when it comes to like images and like how to like understand how to interpret things from like a computer perspective versus like the human eye, which are literally very different and like the best Mm -hmm. thing to like if there's a lot of like noise or like convolution in like an image you can do like what's called like dithering which you do with like a lot of like uh, audio data or visual data or even video data just to like create more random noise that basically nullifies a lot of that like dominant noise so like even if you couldn't necessarily like differentiate between like say a cat's ear and like a butterfly wing if you distorted that image enough that there was only enough to like really refer to it being one or the other, then you could probably like get a little bit more, I guess, like veracity out of like the AI. But if like the image is too sure. good, it's like, uh, this could be kind of like either, which is weird because I see what you're saying. I think yeah. that's actually, yeah, your comparison to the, the sort of human way of looking at things is sort of the next logical step of this in terms of how the Harvard researchers were looking mm-hmm. at it. Mm-hmm. Because like this starts to get into some philosophical and neuroscientific shit in that human brains also process things like, I mean, what we see in our heads isn't what's literally there. It's what our brains can manage to process, Dude, right? This is literally my job. We have math to be like, here's blue, but here's how blue is seen through the eye. It's like, <laughs> yeah. So the idea here is that, the, or the hypothesis here is that this is kind of like 
could be related to and used to study human hallucination. Like computers misinterpreting things and dreaming things wrong in this way, misinterpreting images, could be a similar neural process quote unquote, to how humans hallucinate. Mm -hmm. So um, Macheri Keshavan from Harvard and then uh, Mukund Sudarshan from Cornell basically suggest that like, if we look at deep dream and how these images get fucked up and reinterpreted and presented, it might be possible for us to like better understand human psychosis, which I thought was interesting in particular in the context of like all of the Gaius and Caprica hallucinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, the hallucination and dreaming stuff is, like, super important in Battlestar because, like, Gaius is, like, literally constantly hallucinating Caprica 6. And it's right kind of ambiguous as to, like, whether or not that's real and if it's just mm-hmm. his own brain trying to process things. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, like, part of it, right, is, like, really early on she talks to him in such a way that forces him to come up with a Cylon detector and then recognizes that Doral is a Cylon. Or rather, he makes his wild guess and then the viewer finds out that it's right. true. He was a Cylon. But it was only because Caprica 6 was saying all this stuff to him. So then it's like, I mean, he's clearly hallucinating, but is this real or not kind of thing? Is she like part of his hallucination? Is she like networking into it? Or is something yeah. like his processing is just like whacked kind of thing? Right. So in that, in, in Battlestar Galactica, it's like explicitly a thing that both humans and Cylons do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like later on, another Cylon discovers like this major secret while she's like in a dream state yeah i actually want to talk to you about that because that one um i thought paralleled this third type of dreaming i think a little more closely i mean it's none of it's like super cut and dry but i thought this lined up pretty well with this last one Mm -hmm. the third type of dreaming is through a process called experience replay which is basically a process that improves the rate at which ais learn so this is a thing that was introduced by a phd student at carnegie mellon long g lin and their their dissertation thing was creating this ex- this experience replay process in which AI is able to reflect on sequences of past events to like pay attention to quote unquote significant ones for learning while insignificant ones cancel out hmm. by doing these pa- like these I don't know whatever task it is over and over and over and over they learn through filtering out what is important and what's not. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So Sue Llewellyn at Manchester University suggested that like the types of surreal images that humans have in dreams allow us to like link individual memories into something meaningful and coherent. And that mm-hmm. this is kind of the same thing that is happening with experience replays in AI is this like unconscious seeing patterns, improving memories and making connections that happens when you're just like running through things subconsciously in your head, whether you're dreaming or if it's this experience replay that's just like running these tasks over and over. Yeah, that's really cool. And that reminded me of the final five thing because Deanna's like doing this over and over and over, right? Putting in her, I'll leave out this most spoilery part of it, but like putting herself in a position to dream this over and over and over so she can start making these connections, filtering out what's important. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But with the Carnegie Mellon research, did they mention like what determines significance in this like experiential replay? Because I feel like this becomes like a almost like a and maybe we can talk about this more in like my section, like the more morality of AI, because it's like a significant event could be like I hurt someone and they felt bad. So I'm going to make sure I remember not to do that versus like I hurt someone and they felt bad. Yeah, that doesn't matter. I can keep on doing that behavior because it's not significant that this other entity felt pain? That's a great question. I tried to look into it and I couldn't understand what significant was. And I think part of it was like, part of the problem is that it, how do 
AIs or even people determine what's significant. You know what I mean? But so, yeah, I didn't really have, uh, I don't have an answer to that question. I don't think, Mm -hmm. I didn't read the dissertation itself because, um. (laughs) (laughs) But even like if you're looking at computer programming, like theses, like when they're talking about just like proofs. That shit is so dense. And as like someone that like Dude, as a I chemist, know. it's like like you can wild. read my work because there's pictures, there's spectra, like even like I optical put in a lot of very colorful pictures. Yeah. But like if all you see is Including like Including the dick one. <laughs> that was an unintentional mistake. Do you, do you have some phallic shaped? <laughs> have you uh, seen molecules? this dick pic? She I made a, a 3D molecule. printer representation in because <laughs> it, it has the two it has the um the filament spools and then you have the <laughs> oven oh, like the yeah. nozzle that it goes through i know exactly what you're talking and her about little, and so abby went well that's a penis and i was like no it's a 3d it, printer it's an extrusion based 3d printer that yeah, kind exactly. of looks phallic i was like yeah extrusion based that sounds right <laughs> <laughs> anyway i gave that to my committee and no one said anything anyway so yeah those are all the types of dreaming that i have uh and i guess it's hard to do the final button because I don't remember all of what happened a week ago, but I would say computers are people too. And that's my expert opinion. Ta-da. <laughs> Thanks for listening to In My Expert Opinion. Please remember to rate and subscribe. We'd also be grateful if you'd leave a review with your expert opinion on why this podcast is rad. Five-star reviews will get a shout-out on the podcast. Pretty big deal, if you ask me. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at expertopspod, or email inmyexpertopinion at gmail.com. Later, nerds! <laughs>